Frosters. Welcome to another episode of the Friday Frosters. This is episode number 17. Wow. That's, That's crazy. That is crazy. That is very, very crazy. So look, guys, we have Kelly Paxson, our pink collar crime guru and host of the Great Women in Fraud podcast, Joe Irvin, our culture and ethics expert, and me, Robert Berry, that audit guy. This is the darn bestest fraud edutainment in the world. That's right. The best Definitely. live show discussing fraud in the world. And today we're talking about two things. We've titled them the No Support from Support Services and the Dead in Cash. But before we jump into our topics for today, we want to know how you guys are doing. You know what to do when you come into a room with me. In the chat, drop those emojis that signify the mood that you're in right now. Now, some of you guys may think that I'm crazy for doing that, but we really do care about you and we want to know how you're doing and that is why we ask you to drop those emojis into the chat so that we can see how everyone is doing and you know what joe people really missed you look oh that makes me feel good thanks mark i appreciate mark it. says he really missed you last week <laughs> thanks Pozo. i am glad to be back i had a heck of a time getting a flight to vegas last friday let me just tell you guys, I would have rather been with you than on a delayed, 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 canceled, rebooked on a different airline, finally got there uh, really, really late Friday night. So I really, really would have rather been with you guys. You know what, though? I think Kelly and I don't feel sorry for you. You just said you were on a flight to Vegas. Yeah, but it was 117 in Vegas and I was working all weekend. So you can't feel that. Don't don't feel that envious, guys. Seriously. I mean, I did get to go on a little bit of a jaunt and, you know, I may have gambled like some of our fraudsters. No, no, no. No, not. No, I can't stand losing money, y'all. So, you know, it was very minimal for me. So. Now, you didn't gamble with any money that you stole. No, you? no, no. I gambled <laughs> with my own money. Thank you. Great. So, and, and Travis was looking at your card that morning. That's right. That's right. He was like, oh, boy. she can't go to the ATM. So. <laughs> so you guys, Heather's in a really good mood and Heather has donuts. Oh, that sounds excellent. Hal is saying no, no frog. No fraud. Oh, no fraud. Yeah, no frog fraud. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little slow today, you guys. Pozo says happy Friday from NYC and she is happy. Joe is giving everyone hugs. I love that one. Bonita. Pozo was on Great Women in Fraud this week. So if you guys haven't had a chance to take a listen, I have the Duchess of Accounting. We're both Scorpios. Um, Ooh, make that so. three Scorpios. I am one as well. Ooh. I, okay. I love my, my Scorpio peeps. So that's good. <laughs> and Garnell is doing flips all the way from the Bahamas. Awesome. And Garnell also says, welcome back. Joe. Dan is in a really cool mood today and Leslie is here again. Leslie is really cool today. Matt Jones is back and Matt is all smiles. <laughs> and Mark says, Joe, that is what happens when you go to Sin City. I know. They take your money. It's really sad. Really sad. Mark says, ching ching. And Leslie, welcome to the Scorpio Club, my friend. We are all in good company. Where's my, where, where are my Aries at? Any Aries on? Call? <laughs> I'm 
the love to the Scorpio people. I know there's, there's a few horoscope people on here probably going, oh, that explains a lot. It explains a real lot. It does. It explains a whole lot. So you guys see my mood. I mean, this is usually my mood 99.9% .9 of the time, right? Yes. Yes. You're always a happy guy. So that reminds me. The Friday Froster is also a podcast. Let me tell you guys, Joe, I didn't tell you and Kelly the latest. So I look at the stats from the podcast. We are getting a lot of downloads in uh, in South Africa, Nigeria, uh, India, and Ireland for some reason, and other parts of the UK. Some people in Canada. I'm assuming those are Bonita's friends, right? Even though Bonita's in the US right now, she's told all her Canadian friends and they're just downloading the podcast. We are also on YouTube now, you guys. So if you go and search for uh, that audit guy on YouTube, you'll see all of the episodes on YouTube as well. But while we're talking about the Friday Froster, don't forget to get CPE credit just for watching us talk about fraud. I'm sure you're wondering how to do that. Go to www.fridayfraudster.com. I'm putting it in the comments. Not that it's hard to remember, but. <laughs> so now, Joe, why don't you tell everybody what you were doing when you were away? You were doing something pretty cool. Yeah, so I was just telling Robert and Kelly the, the thing I loved the most about this conference. So it was a national conference for the National Speakers Association. And the theme of the conference was radically relevant and how to stay radically relevant as a speaker, as a trainer in what we do. Uh, but I took that theme back. I actually got home at one in the morning, Monday morning, and I woke up, had a webinar Tuesday, and I weaved that theme throughout my audit webinar Tuesday morning, this idea of being radically relevant. So anyway, that's my, my little tidbit. I got lots more from this conference. It was a working Vegas weekend, for those of you just joining. Uh, but it was it was great. Just even, I just love that term. So if everybody starts adopting, maybe it's a hashtag. Kelly, hashtag yeah. relevant. Hello, it's it's just awesome. It's great for auditors too. So now you know one of our good auditing friends always talks about being relevant, and Hal is an Aries. Woo, fellow Aries. All right, Hal. Maybe that and does explain a lot, Hal, between me and you. <laughs> And Hal is always talking about how auditors, we need to be and remain relevant. Uh, now, Heather is a Sagittarius. Hmm. Heather and my husband. My husband's a fellow Sag Sagittarius. So why does he care so much about our, our finances, Heather? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and Kelly is dropping the hashtag into the chat already. Radically relevant. I think we should make it a theme. Yeah. Pozo says that that is a great theme. Radically relevant relevant oh how <laughs> it means great minds seem to like how that's what it means but which one of you is the great mind both we're airy <laughs> sorry that was a joke that was a bad joke <laughs> all right so guys the first story no support from support services okay this one this one's pretty good but I would advise you guys to hang on for the second one. Of course, I would put the best one, the very best one. This one's good, but the very best one to make you guys hang on. But let's talk about this first one. So 
there's this company called the Victim Support Services. It is in Kirksville, Missouri. It opened March of 1986. It receives money in the form of grants, donations, and from the United Way to help, well, victims, victims of crime specifically. However, Friday, March the 30th, 2019 was their last day in business and approximately six employees from the nonprofit's corporate office and the safe house lost their jobs. The nonprofit's board president, Sue Barrett, said that they closed due to funding issues or lack of funding. We'll see what that means in just a minute, you guys. The organization was under investigation by the Missouri Department of Social Services, and it had been starting in summer of 2018. Now, Barrett said that the uh, grant administrators discovered something that raised an eyebrow during the review, and the longtime VSS executive director, Kim LeBron, not related to LeBron James, you guys. She LeBron. took a medical leave of absence in July of 2018. When that medical leave of absence was up, she voluntarily submitted, tendered her resignation. Now that sounds odd, right? Every time someone resigns, there's something. Either they knew something and they were forced out or they did something and were forced out, right? That's usually the way that works. The board person is the board president is saying that she was hoping that the closure would be temporary and they that and that they could reopen after the investigation was complete. Hmm. So, guys, here is what happened. According to federal investigators, between July 2016, uh, sorry, January of 2016 and June of 2018. LeBron, the executive director, submitted false and fraudulent invoices for funding under the Department of Justice's Victim of Crime Administrator's Grant. Here's what, here's what they said she did. Specifically, she inflated the numbers related to shelter stays. Not only did she inflate the numbers in many cases, the documents say, she turned away clients claiming that the shelter was full when in fact, it was not full. And in some instances, it was vacant. So people wanted to come to the shelter because they were victims of violence. And she turned them away, saying that it was full when it wasn't. As a result, her alleged uh, as a result of her alleged fraudulent actions, the DOJ, the Department of Justice, um, paid her approximately or her organization approximately one hundred and seventy three thousand dollars in grant funds during the period in question. What do you guys think? So much. So, so much. <laughs> it's wrong on so many levels. Um, first off, the one of the stories um, is that uh, she entered a plea. She didn't go to trial. Duh. They don't go to trial. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty black and white. And then, like, the invoices and the falsely inflated numbers, this is your guys' specialty of audit. Like, it's just really easy to, I, is it easy? I mean, it is easy to track things like this. Like, you know, it, it's just, again, hashtag, it's not rocket science. Yeah, and it seemed like a lot of the people working there, obviously it always goes back to a culture thing, right? It, the, a lot of the people working there wouldn't even comment, would, wanted to be anonymous. So obviously, again, you you have people who 
don't have the guts or the courage maybe to speak up. Uh, you know, and we've talked about maybe they're rationalizing, maybe they need the job. You know, all of those factors obviously come into play, but um, it's just so sad to know that a lot of people worked for this woman knowing that she was turning people away. That's, I, I agree with Heather, it's deplorable on this one. All right, so there are a couple things to really consider and to think about with this particular case. So she was getting grant money from the federal government. And here's what happens when you get a grant through the government. Oftentimes you have to submit a proposal and after that proposal is accepted, the government will just funnel money to you. Now the government will typically hire either third parties or sometimes they have um, uh, entities of under governmental agencies that will go out periodically and audit your usage of the grant funds. In, in the meantime, you should be sending reports to the government that tell what you're doing with the money. But the audits don't often occur on a regular basis. They're just occasional. And this didn't even happen from the federal government. This happened at the state level where some auditors went in and started taking a look around. So we have some questions from a lot of people. Clarence is asking, did she go to jail? We'll, we'll get to that. And Michelle is saying, what was the money spent on? Eh, probably the woman who was in charge. And Clarence is saying, did she pay the money back? They are asking her, well, they're forcing her to pay the money back. As a part of her uh, plea agreement, uh, she was ordered to pay back, I think, $200,000 or $225,000. So Kelly is correct. She has not been sentenced yet, Clarence. So yeah. Yeah, and and Kelly, I had I make made notes as I was looking because I know you're like the expert on more the court side of things. Uh, she's been indicted on mail fraud, right? So can you like the, this is always me going, what the heck does that mean? Like I know what it means, but can you just um, give your insight on that? And again, is that what the courts kind of hold on to to get somewhere? Like explain that to us. Yeah, so that's just the easy charge and mark can respond to this also but it's kind of like wanting to a federal agent wire fraud mail fraud they don't even i believe they don't even have the charge of embezzlement anymore so it's just kind of a bucket that is easy and that's why statistics are really hard on white collar crime because this is an embezzlement but it shows up as mail fraud because they probably got checks via the mail um and if they got checks via wires, it would be wire fraud. But that's what makes the statistics so incredibly difficult is they will charge, you know, mail fraud or wire fraud when it's really straight up embezzlement. So I don't know, is Mark, what do you think? Yeah. All right, so go ahead. This is what I love about our audience, guys. Pozo says, uh, such a disservice to victims of violence. She says that she's audited organizations that offer shelters. Fees are pretty high and living conditions aren't the best. So now Heather has said that her mom worked at a shelter for women and it's unthinkable that these poor women have nowhere to go in bad times. Heather, I will say this is not a shelter for just women. This was a shelter for people who were victims of violence. So while 52% of women are victims of domestic violence, that also means that 48% of the victims are men. Yeah, or any, I mean, you know, think about children running, you know, I I know my mind goes to like gang related things or I don't know, just trying to get away from different types of violence. This could have helped so many people. And I think these are always the saddest examples that we talk about. 
Yeah, always. Six people have lost their jobs now. The building's for sale. Six people have lost their jobs. Um, The victims of violence aren't going away. So what happens to all of this? I mean, it, it, the sort of pond effect is huge. Yeah. And Heather, Uh. Heather asked about the, um, board of governors. So we can get to that next after you do this one, Rob. Yeah. So Mark is saying that it's a simple charge that's easy to prove so that they're taking the easy route, which, I mean, I understand it gets the person convicted, but it may not get them convicted for the right thing, but, but I get it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the articles I did put all three of the articles about this subject. There's one from, I think, 2019, 2020 and 2021 uh, that Robert found for us. And one of them, the board, executive of the board, I don't remember her exact title was the one, it was her perspective on it. Um, so Heather, check that one out. But it really seems like we've got a lot of denial happening that this really even happened to them. I think it was, um, I don't know, it just to me felt like her response was very, um, not nearly as dramatic as it should have been. So then it made me think, did she know this was happening? Like, you know, maybe it's self-preservation. She's, you know, she's trying not to make as big of a deal about it. But anyway, that's the take I got from what board might have existed. Yeah, well, and in addition to the board, this place was uh, pretty corrupt from a culture standpoint. So, for example, in some of the articles, uh, there were some former employees who said that uh, LeBaron, uh, the old executive director, would sometimes brag in front of them about how well she was paid by the board. She even had her own personal garage at the VSS offices, and workers said that they were instructed to tell potential clients that the VSS safe house was full, and the organization wasn't accepting new clients when it was not full. So these are things that employees came forward to talk about after all of this happened. And Here's a picture of her holding an award uh, for Victim Advocate of the Year. It's just so sad that you can live, you know, with that as on your conscience. I don't, don't you guys just wonder about people? I know Kelly, she always wants to think the best of people that do this, but this one just, I don't, I just can't even see the, the best in that. I don't know. Well, and you know, this isn't, this is, this isn't irregular. There's a guy who stole from Connecticut college and he was like, you know, employee of the year several times. There's a woman I post about who had a parking lot. They're mostly not just disgruntled because they're getting a good side hustle from their thieving. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, look at how happy she looks. Well, and I think what really stumps me about most cases in general, but let's talk specifically about this one. I always wonder what benefit are you gaining from it? That's the question I always ask. And so with this one, I think logically about it. Okay. So she was turning people away from the shelter saying that it was full when it was not, and she was collecting a check. In all honesty, the the only thing that I could think of with this one, two things, either laziness not wanting to work, and or if she really allowed the uh, facility to fill to capacity, she may have had to work harder to bring in more funding to actually fund the operations because they may have needed more than six people. 
um, because that was just a part of their funding. They got money from donors and from the United Way. So she could be lazy if she kept the number of occupants to a minimum and then still overbilled the government and collected her salary because she was paid a salary, not any sort of fee based on her occupancy. So the only thing I could think of with this one was just pure laziness. Kind of. Yeah, I agree with that. Hal said, you know, I deserve it. I think, you know, she might have just really felt, um, I'm trying to think of the right word here, like just very proud of her job and like she, like a control thing, right? This was probably the one thing in her life she had control over to some degree, perhaps. And that's, that's kind of where my, my mind went too. It's like, she's just kind of exerting what control in the world that she figured out she had. And well, it, I mean, other thing is like, she's going, I'm helping you people. You're lucky I'm here helping you people. Y you know, um, again, we do so much victim shaming. And I was listening to a podcast, um, the human factor security. And, you know, there's a whole thing about um, ransomware and things like that. And we even corporations, we victim shame like, well, you know, Colonial didn't have the right, you know, computer infrastructure for this huge ransomware and everything like that so we just have no problem victim shaming and she probably i'm gonna guess she had quite an attitude and she's like you know you get what you're getting you're lucky you get what you get mm -hmm. yeah yeah i can agree with that and and clarence says it's easy to get away with crime when no one is is watching because people trust you and i'm guessing that they really trust her because like joe i i I'm recalling the article with the board chair woman and she was just, it was almost like she was oblivious or complicit, you know? Um, and, and some of it was a Pollyanna. Well, I'm hoping we can open back up once this investigation is complete. No, ma'am, this is something very serious. If you open back up, it's probably under a new name with a new organization with whole new people, not including you. Yeah, so this is like the, I just brought up the article with with her, and she's the one that said her last name's Barrett. Barrett told us a team of people representing the grant administrators discovered something that raised an eyebrow during a periodic review. So I love, you know, Robert said occasional. Like this is like things, you know, where's the where's the controls around doing these reviews a certain part of time? So what does periodic mean, right? And then. It says, um, Barrett said to her knowledge, there is no money missing from the organization. So again, she's like, she's downplaying, you know, and it, it and it's like, first of all, that's, that's kind of not the point. I love Dan already said collusion. Yeah. My mind is going to like, why is this woman kind of not, maybe not defending, but just really, I don't know, sitting back and um, watching it. She asked also if, any money had been misused and she said no comment so yeah, yeah I, I just very little from this person who was on the board so obviously culture goes way up to the top so well and i think a big problem too is with nonprofits, especially those receiving grant funds a lot of times when the people come in to audit they're just looking at the money these aren't internal auditors these are specifically grant administration auditors to see if you're administering the money that you've gotten in a way that's in line with the grant. And I think that's a bigger, I know that's a bigger issue with a lot of nonprofits. Again, they can't afford the huge firms to come in and provide some sort of internal audit services. So if you're a nonprofit out there and you're watching, call me.
Yeah. Just yeah. a plug there. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think Pozo makes a really good point. She said people feel entitled when serving people less fortunate than them. I think those are bad people that feel entitled when they serve people less fortunate than them. Can I just, I mean, let's go back to what I said the theme of the conference was. I, I said, wouldn't we all want to wake up and feel like we were radically relevant in everything that we did every day? So, I mean, hats off to these grant administrators that, you know, saw something that raised an eyebrow and finally said something, you know, because they brought a new sense of relevance to their role even. And so, I mean, that's what I, I mean, I just preach that to everybody, no matter what your career is, you can be radically relevant. Like, look at other things. Don't just look this way. You know, look at what's happening around you. We just, there's so many opportunities out there for that. And I want to give a shout out to Joe, and I didn't get to go this year, but we did, we met two years ago at the NSA. But you can be your subject matter expert in fraud and audit and everything like that. But if you can't spread the word via like being a talented speaker and going, so I don't just take fraud courses and Joe doesn't just take fraud and audit courses and neither does Robert. You have to expand your skills in order to get the message out. So shout out to Joe and NSA, which I am a proud member of um, because radically relevant. She immediately instituted it the next morning. And we do need to stay radically relevant. So, cause I get a lot of people are like, what fraud course? It's not just our tunnel. We have to go out. Like, I mean, for me, a lot of my stuff is behavioral science. I'm just fascinated by it. Um, so, but if we're just going to be in this one tunnel, we aren't going to, we're not going to understand how quote, a good person makes a bad choice. If we're you know, just about the technical part of it. Yeah. And I'll piggyback on what Kelly's saying. We have to be good speakers and presenters because when we find things, we have to be able to articulate them to executive management in an organization. But we also do have to understand the psychology of the human mind and how it works. That's whether you're an auditor, a fraud investigation, a compliance specialist, you have to understand how people operate so that you know what questions to ask them, you know, what documentation to look at, how to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Now, Michelle has added a little bit of comedy. I don't, although I don't think she was doing so on purpose. She said, the money is not missing. She knows where it went. Yep. She absolutely knows where it went. Um, now, and Pozo makes a really good point too. Board members of nonprofits don't always know uh, do do their role when it comes to governance. And I will say a lot of times they, they don't do their role, but it's because they don't know their role. Um, oftentimes when someone is on the board of a nonprofit, it is because they are either A, a significant donor to whatever cause that is, or B, it is something that they are passionate about. And, and your board members are usually some of your most impassioned members, but they don't necessarily, depending on their background, understand the concept of governance. A lot of them are small to medium business owners who have made you know, a significant amount of money for themselves being a small to medium sized business owner. So they don't have to do things like corporate governance. If they wanna make a change, they just do it. If they see somebody stealing, they just fire them. And when it comes to larger organizations, that's not necessarily how it works. Yeah. Bonita says, great points, Kelly. And Joe. And Joe. 
Thanks. And of course, Robert. What yeah. am I, chopped liver? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding, Bonita. Us girls, we got to stick together. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, thank you for that. And like, sh you know, shout out, same back to both of you. And Robert does it with auditors. He makes sure auditors stay radically relevant by asking the right questions, by communicating right. Like that's the exact same thing we're talking about is just getting out, you know, veer from your lane a little bit. So, you know, I think the the good news about all the stories we talk about is somebody veered from their lane and and decided to be a somewhat of a whistleblower or point something out. And those are the people we want all of you to be, right? Veer from your lane, speak up. You know, silence is not golden, people. That's, I mean, that's the everyday ethicist mantra. So Mark says, I'm not chopped liver, I'm liver worst. <laughs> But yeah, to Joe's point, if you see something, say something. Now, here's what I will say. There will be consequences if you say something. Yeah, There will be. You could lose your job. You could lose your reputation. People might talk about you. But as long as you hold on to the truth, who cares? Who gives a rip what people say and think? As long as you are operating in truth and honesty, what are your core values as a person? Yeah, speaking and of core values, wait to the next story. <laughs> well, and just another shout out for... Um, so we had Pozo this week on Great Women and Fraud. Next week, we have Lloydette by Marrow. Oh, my God, you guys need to listen to it because she's an attorney over in London, and she has this investigator's mindset and her whole thing about whistleblowers. So it, it's a, it's always, they're great episodes, but it's interesting hearing the sort of English point of view um, on all of this. So Very cool. All right, so... Here's our friend here who, well, let's give you an update on her. So earlier this month, as in the month that we're in right now, July, her trial was set for July 26th in federal court in St. Louis. But on Wednesday, June the 23rd, she and her attorney instead requested a change of plea hearing. And in that hearing, that hearing was scheduled for uh, June the 29th. And what she did was she she ended up pleading. She, she pleaded guilty, didn't she, Kelly? Yes, they always yeah. do. Yeah, so not always. I'm going to say 99 times out of 100. So that is the update on her and what happened in this situation. So we are about halfway through. That is our first story where we had no support from our support services organization. Kelly, Joe, you guys want to tell the people what you guys are up to? So Kelly, what are you up to? Um, great Women in Fraud podcast. Um, the you know still selling the book, sending the book to people. Um, I am reading Robert Cialdini's uh, newest version of Persuasion, and oh my gosh, yeah, crazy good. So um, and I'm just working on some online courses that I hope to have eventually. Ooh, nice. You have to keep us up to date on the online courses, Joe. What's happening? Oh, um, well, I was just telling Rob and Kelly, I've got two big presentations that are unique for me because they're in two new industries. So next week, I get to spend time with financial planners talking about ethics. So um, I might just leave that there. But I, it's a bit of a challenge for me because I want to make it very relevant for them. But it's hard maybe not to make some financial planners uncomfortable when it comes to the ethics of some of the work that they do. So anyway, I'm working hard on that. Uh, and then the next conference the week after that is actually uh, called Buttles, B B Buttles, Bottles, 
Buds and Brews. So it is with like six or seven state CPA organizations. And I'm actually doing an entirely new training on how to create a risk and control matrix for the cannabis industry. So I always Colorado, so it's big here and it's a client that I got during COVID and uh, it was a fun adventure to work on that risk control matrix. So now I'm going to train on it. So anyway, two new things I'm working on. So Joe, I have some people you may want to talk to uh, in the cannabis industry. Awesome. I'm, I'm up so for it. Any we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to talk. Okay. All right. So, well, I mean, I'm working on making this the most widely distributed podcast on fraud on the planet. I'm also working on making sure that you guys have some quality CPE for this podcast at a reasonable price. Right now, it's priced at about $6.99 for one hour of CPE. So, FridayFroster.com. I've got some new programs coming out yeah. in about the fourth quarter of this year. One of them is called Assertiveness for Auditors. So, we're going to teach you how to be assertive. And the other one is going to be Delegation for Auditors. So, look for that probably around September, October, November, December. January, <laughs> Some, sometime later this year. Seriously, you guys. Uh, and don't forget to visit my website, thatauditguy.com. Sign up for my mailing list because there's a lot of new stuff coming soon. But there's one other thing that's happening, and Joe and I are actually doing it. Let's talk about this for just one minute as we get this woman off of our screen. Coming up soon, we're going to be doing the Innovative Auditor Challenge. It is five days of CPE, one hour each day, one new speaker each day, one new topic each day with one new speaker each day. For a total of five hours of CPE, all for $25. You can't beat that. And besides, you get to see me, Joe, Michelle Fowler, Trent, Russell, and our special Friday guest this time, Joe Horowitz. Some people that are here with us today have participated in the Innovative Auditor Challenge before. If you can, drop into the chat how good it was so that everyone knows just how good it was. If you think it was bad, keep it to yourself. Don't tell anyone. But, uh, <laughs> but, but that is happening. Uh, uh, ooh, Joe, what's the date? I forgot. Oh, I, put it in, I put it in the comments because I was like, oh, I forgot to talk about it. July 26th through the 30th. So uh, thank you. Last full week of July. Uh, yeah, and I put the website out there. So it looks like Heather's joining us. Um, I'll, I'll drop the link in again for everybody. Just the link. Awesome. Yep. Thank you, Joe. Yep. Now, here's something else that we're doing next week. We're going to give you guys a preview. We've already done one preview, but next week, Monday through Thursday, we're going to take each one of our presenters well, except Joe, we might be able to get Joe, oops, the other Joe, sorry, Joe Horowitz. But Monday through Thursday, we're going to do about a 10 to 20 minute preview. So we're going to talk to each of our presenters live here on LinkedIn. So look for that and sign up for that. That's free, obviously. But we're going to talk about who they are, what their business is, why they got into the business, why they're passionate about the topic that they're talking about during the challenge. And you get to ask them some questions live right here on LinkedIn. So look for that happening next week. Ooh, this is all fun and exciting stuff, isn't it, guys? It is. Hey, who's interviewing you, Robert? Can I interview you for your live? You know what? I was wondering who was going to interview me because I hadn't gotten that far yet. Yes, you can interview me. This is going to be fun. Okay. But you know what? Check this out. Malishka, I think we've dropped the link for you. Hopefully. Let me know if you don't get it. 
Leslie is saying it is a must attend event. And Leslie is saying that why? Because she has attended it before. Now, Bonita is saying it is like Friday Frosters, but on steroids. I love it. Yes, Heather, the 26th through the 30th. Thank you, because, you know, I can't remember stuff. You know, I'm getting old. Michelle is saying it's fantastic, entertaining, and educational. You know what I call that, Michelle? Edutainment. Love it. Now, Pozo says it was amazing. Got a few ideas for audit class assignments. Great daily challenges. Pozo is a teacher, you guys, and she teaches the youth. So we gave her some good ideas to take back to her students. And Bonita is saying, <laughs> and she's also, you know, hey, now Malishka is saying thank you for the link. So that's what's happening with all of us. The Innovative Auditor Challenge is coming up. So now let's move on to the next one that we're calling Dead End Cash. All right, guys. You know, every once in a while, we get one that just kind of upsets one or all three of us. This one kind of upset me, but we'll get through it. So listen, a couple has pleaded guilty of defrauding the North Carolina Medicaid program of $13 million. Here are the two people. Timothy Mark Heron. On his Facebook page, he describes himself as an entrepreneur, an author, a husband, a traveler, a jet setter, a wine connoisseur, and a lover of fine food. Hmm. On his wife's Facebook page, she describes herself as, well, her motto is, let your dreams be bigger than your excuses. For years, this couple lived the dream, traveling to Australia, the South Pacific, Malibu, Napa, Italy, and other destinations. Tim Heron routinely posted selfie videos at resorts or the penthouse that they have in Las Vegas. Over a three to four year period, they were true jet setters flying around the world in their $900,000 plane. So let's talk about what Medicaid is. In the United States, Medicaid is a federal and state funded program that helps people with health care costs, people who have limited income and resources. So now let's go back to how this probably kind of started. Letitia Heron, the wife, founded a company called Agape Healthcare Systems, Inc., and was able to enroll in the Medicare service provider as a Medicare service provider, even though she had been previously convicted of identity theft. After enrolling, she billed North Carolina for home health care services. So in other words, nurses were going out to homes to visit patients in the North Carolina region. She then moved to Las Vegas and in, 20, in 2017 and married Tim in 2018. Now, she renewed as a Medicaid provider, but she didn't disclose then to Medicaid that, well, not only was she convicted of identity theft, but Tim was also a convicted felon. The couple then incorporated not one, but two home health care services in North Carolina and billed the state's Medicaid system for at least $17 million. Most if not all of the people that they claim to have helped were already dead. Investigators said that what they would do is they would, they would obtain names from people's obituaries, cross-check them with the Medicaid database, and then bill for services purportedly provided to the people before they died. That's the background. 
You know, is it sad that the first thing that went through my mind was that was a really smart scam? I, I mean, seriously, $17 million. And I, I mean, it always amazes me. They don't think they're going to get caught. But how easy was it for them to do this? And how often is this happening? I don't know. I It raised questions in my so mind. Sure. This takes me to one of the um, Oregon chapters of the ACFE. We had a state Medicaid fraud investigator come and give us a presentation. And, I, and this was, you know, six years ago, I think. And she said, for every dollar that I'm paid, I recover seven. So why? That return on investment is so huge. Why don't we do it more? And I get... Um, it's the Coalition for Fraud or some newsletter, two different newsletters a day, Fraud News Dailies. Some of the biggest frauds are Medicaid and Medicare. Like just huge because healthcare, there's so much money in it. So, so much money in it. Um, so why aren't we having more Medicaid and Medicare and health investigators? Because they bring back, at least in Oregon, it was seven bucks for every dollar of her salary. And you know, here's what I'll say. Most of them actually recoup more than they cost, but I'll take it a step further. Why don't we prevent some of this crap from happening before it even gets started? This one is so egregious and stupid, but we'll get to that in a moment. Let me let me let me go to something else before I get on that tirade. I'm I'm gonna try and calm down for a minute. So the herons it, it it is alleged that they then laundered the Medicaid payments into various luxury items including a private jet, an Aston Martin sports car. And if you know anything about sports cars, those are very expensive. Tiffany and Company purchases, uh, Barini clothing and jewelry, real estate in Maryland and Eastern, uh, Eastern North Carolina, a penthouse apartment in Las Vegas, and gym equipment. Many of the items, along with cash in their bank accounts, have been forfeited to the government as part of their guilty pleas. And if you look, there they are outside of the plane, and here he is, posing somewhere with nice blue water. Garnell, is that in the Bahamas? I know the Bahamas has nice blue water, but anyway. And there's another picture of, uh, is that a, that's a, that's a Tesla. No, is that an Ashton? Uh, whatever. There's a picture of one of the cars. Um, can I read my favorite quote uh, from Tim Heron, the, the guy pictured on the right-hand side? Side. It, it says they're they're like quote people. You can tell they're very inspirational. They want people to follow them. And yes, they're such great entrepreneurs and all stealing money. Um, so his quote is, "I'm not doing a business that's new. I'm doing a new way of doing business." And I love the article. It says new, maybe illegal, definitely. And I thought, wow, okay, this is a Okay, I was saying radically relevant. Uh, this is radically illegal, right? Or radically crazy. I don't know what that is. But I mean, I love that he just thinks he's this great entrepreneur. Oh, it's just, that one just got me. Yeah, yeah. So so Dan says $900,000 plane is not jet setting. Malishka says she loves our titles. Heather says no background checks. Heather, we're going to get into that in just a moment. Oh, my goodness. And Charlene is just in shock. Say what? See, Charlene is not an auditor or a compliance person. Charlene is one of my friends. And Charlene, 
keep tuning in. I noticed you've been here a few Fridays. You'll see that this world is kind of corrupt with only a few people, though. I still say a majority of the people in the world are good people, but my goodness, the corrupt ones are really, really crazy. And Megan is like, whoa, like in Home Alone, right? And Pozo, wow, just wow. And they didn't even claim for post-mortem services. Nope. Hal says, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. Hal, this is just all evil here, my friend, just all evil. And Mark is saying, Joe, you should appreciate the creativity. Well, I think uh, it was, they were smart because they didn't do post-mortem. They even looked at when people died and man, they really, they did make a business out of this. This was their business. Their business of being illegal. I like radically illegal too, Kelly. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Radically, <laughs> radically smart and illegal. It's nuts. Ugh. Now, Pozo, the forever comedian, the quote was a tip. It was, it was a <laughs> flag, a red flag, whatever, white flag, whatever color. <laughs> yeah, he was telling on himself because Hal says he's a legend in his own mind. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, parking lot audit, right, Kelly? Park. Uh, how about boat? Audit, plane audit. audit. Yeah, I mean, again, it's this crazy lifestyle. Like, I just, you know, when someone posts stuff like that, it's like, hey, look at me, look how fancy I am. It's, you know, there's something to be said for the, okay, we're not getting political or cast like, there's something to be said for the really, really wealthy that don't have the, you know, monogrammed bag or anything they're very they just try to go under the radar and then there's a class of people that don't want to go under the radar they want to fly again the pink flag of i'm a thief but this goes to also process he said it said in the article that he already was a felon i'm sorry why can't the government bar felons from doing stuff like this okay i'm glad you asked that question ignorant but why can't the government just i mean they bar other people from other things why can't that just be a you know check so i'm glad you asked that question let's talk about this my friend let's talk about this so how in the world did this thing get caught there was an audit according to a state audit uh the department of health and human services allowed unlicensed providers to remain in the Medicaid program. Here's some other things that happened. Dozens of healthcare providers whose licenses were revoked, suspended, or had limits placed on them were allowed to continue treating Medicaid pa patients and then bill for the services because of what the audit said was lax oversight. So investigators with the state auditor's office found that now get this, 18 out of 24 providers that they, 26 providers that they tested, they only tested 26 providers and found that 18 of them had errors. So what happened is 18 of them had licenses that were terminated or suspended in 2019 and they weren't removed from the Medicaid program, but it gets even worse. Two of them were disciplined for sexual misconduct and one of them had been convicted of healthcare fraud. Now, 14 of the 18 were removed only after the auditors questioned the Division of Health's benefits with them. Oh. I mean, can, isn't there that that concept of extrapolating the sample? Like, could you could we do that with 18 of 26 and wake up? and say like, this is probably a huge problem. Oh, it gets better. 
This is one of the other things. It's like, you know, people complain about government regulations and blah, blah, blah all the time. But this should be kind of a check the box and an annual check the box. I mean, how many things do we have to do to like, we have to file our taxes every year. Like they have to validate things every single year. And so much of this can be automated. Oh, but it gets better. Speaking of automation, I'm so glad you said that, Kelly. And you know what? We didn't even practice this, you guys. But this, this stuff just makes sense. Okay. So the auditors determined that, that, that the Division of Health Benefits officials didn't check the disciplinary actions taken by various state licensing boards. So in other words, they didn't check to see if any of these providers had been sanctioned. But what they did was they relied on an electronic health system that hadn't worked properly since it was put in place in 2015. Now, see, hold on. I, this is where this, this is what really just makes me upset. So, again, when you deal with federal, uh, well, with federal, state and local contracts, those contracts are typically awarded to the lowest, vin, uh, lowest bidder. The lowest bidder doesn't necessarily have the best product. You know that this product hadn't been working since 2015, yet you decided to keep doing what you were doing. How asinine is that? It is. Just... I mean, Sorry. this is where people get really frustrated with government. They see a story like this and they're just like, well, why am I going to pay taxes? And, and I'm not saying that people that have a record should be barred from any type of work, but can we have like a 10 year bar disbar from maybe healthcare or, you know, maybe they just have to have, find a different field. Like, oh, but it gets better. Oh God. So, okay. So, so the auditors asked the agency officials about this, you know, the thing that you would expect, Hey guys, look, you got this system in place, but why didn't you just check manually if you know the system didn't work? Or why didn't you buy a better system? Or why didn't you say something to the vendor that provided the system? Here's what the agency officials told the auditor. They, they said that they didn't have the authority to remove providers from the Medicaid system simply because of limits placed on their licenses. But here's the deal. Here's where it gets even better. The federal Medicaid regulations state that the states must confirm that there are no current limitations on the provider's licenses. So what they were trying to do is say that, well, we don't have the authority to do it. However, when you look at the federal regulation, it is telling the state regulators that they should check the licensing status. Interesting. Can and again, oh, sorry, this goes to a really vulnerable population that this money should be going to a very vulnerable population. So, ay, ay. Can, can someone, I guess, can you guys help me understand a Medicare, Medicaid provider, what that means? Like, is ah. this a doctor? Like, I mean, this she's got obviously a clinic set up, right? I mean, I read the articles. Like, is there, I don't know. I mean, ha, I, it just kind of blows my mind that this existed completely as a shell. I mean, this to me is like a shell company. I, I don't get it. It is a shell company. So, so here's how it works. Your Medicaid and Medicare providers, they could be physicians, so they could be doctors, but they could even be mental health providers. They could be physical therapists. So yeah. if you have a license in physical therapy, you can apply to be a Medicaid provider or a Medicare or Medicaid provider. And once you are on that provider list, 
you provide services and then you turn around and you bill Medicare and Medicaid for the services that you provided. So you collect all the standard information, their name, social security number, firstborn, blood sample, you know, but, but no, seriously, you collect all their information and then you, you have, you have to go in the Medicare, Medicaid system and ensure that they are able to receive it. And so now you provide the services, they're eligible to receive it and there's a match, you get paid. Yeah. And I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that's what I was guessing. That's how the process works, not knowing. But um, again, can we, I mean, this is to me why this was kind of a smart fraud. I mean, the way they did it, it worked perfectly. And so, I mean, to some degree, like it, I don't know. So my mom passed a year ago and I still every so often get a call from the hospice provider wanting to know if I need some counseling. And like, I mean, they call me, I'm sure it's a calendar. It's probably every four months. And I'm like, come on, stop. And I, you know, I don't, I don't reach out to like the whatever organization and say, Hey, is there a bill out there for like, they're providing hospice services for me because it's too, I wouldn't even know where to go, but the chance that it's happening crosses my mind. Oh, but you guys, this gets even better. In addition to not removing providers with license troubles, state officials didn't verify the professional credentials of hundreds, possibly thousands of Medicaid providers, including some that hadn't been verified in more than five years. I think that's what I was getting at. Like, where are the checks to make sure these are legitimate vendors like we would do in an, a vendor audit? You know, where are the... Um, I don't know. Where are those checks? Like there, there's no real website for this gal. Maybe she did have a legitimate business at one point. So maybe it would have all looked legitimate or I'm sure they were smart enough to make it look legitimate. But I don't it feels like there's something missing the prevention side of it. What's missing is data analysis. Right. I mean, you have all the data there. And what's missing is you have a state agency that wasn't doing its job and then was trying to uh, funnel their responsibility off on saying we don't have the authority to do it. However, when you look at the federal regulation, they actually were required to do it. Yeah. Crazy. Always limited resources, but you know what, in cases like this, the, the ROI is huge. So, you know, it, I think they can make a case to state legislators or whatever that look at the ROI. It's yeah. huge. You give Absolutely. us more money, we're going to get more money. This isn't that hard to prove. It's not like, you know, sending a person to the moon that you're going to get. Oh, but it gets better. Oh, oh, but wait. oh, but wait. But we've got it before you let everybody go. You got to let at least make them feel good about what's happening to this woman because she's already been sentenced. So you got to give them the. After this, we'll, we'll okay. talk about that. Yeah. State officials said that they weren't required to check ownership information even though the federal agency that runs the Medicaid program said that such background checks are best practices. So they weren't required. They were just best practices from the Fed standpoint. So the state said we aren't required to do it. Mm. Interesting. Um, can I just give a little tidbit? 30 seconds. I've heard that we should all stop using best practices because that means that we have reached the end of what we can learn and be and do. So everybody says use better practices. So I've now changed my lingo in training internal auditors. Don't help your company find best practices, help them find better practices because then they can continue to do that and get better. So tidbit, I thought that was excellent.
Was it I like that. Again? Was that Think Again? It might have been in Think Again, but I, I think it was in Think Again. I'm like, I loved that. I need to, if it was, credit Adam Grant. Sorry, there was so much in that book. Um, like Hal, I'm still taking things away from it. Oh, one more thing before we talk about what happened to them. So an update to the automated system that checks the provider's credentials is expected to be operational by July of 2023. Bull crap. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest bunch of bull crap. By the way, if you want to talk about some bull crap, buy my book, Business Bull Crap. There you go. How about that? Biggest bunch of bull crap. Okay, so so now they both have pleaded guilty, and and I forgot I, I lost in my notes what exactly is happening. You guys have it pulled up by, by chance. I'm... Yeah. Oh, I do. I've got it. So um, Tim Heron is awaiting sentencing, but his wife will spend more than fourteen years in prison and was ordered to pay thirteen point four million to the Medicaid program. So. One can only hope that the Medicaid program gets 13 million of the 17 million back. We'll see about that, but at least she'll be in prison for 14 years, hopefully. So that's the, the end of the end of that story. Maybe, maybe until she gets out and does another one, right? I mean, the, this was her second time, maybe we think, but third time's a charm. Third time's a charm. That's right. Now, Pozo, that wasn't a joke, Pozo. That was for real. That system will be up and operational in 2023. Pozo thinks that I'm joking about that. No, that was very serious. That is what the state officials said. So we'll just have we'll just have very loose controls until 2023. Right? We, we don't care about it. And let all the fraudsters know we'll have loose controls until 2023. Right. That's the other thing. Like you, Jesus. It's, so hopefully we don't have a lot of copycats out there on this one because looks doable. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, okay, and you know that drinking a pink cup, just FYI, I'm channeling pink. I got this whole subliminal pink thing going on. And you guys, Joe and I actually have a meeting to go to right oh. after this. We have to so, work. Kelly, last words? Great Women in Fraud podcast. Listen, download, leave reviews, Joe. please. Joe, last words. Uh, I'm glad to be back with everybody. Excited for next Friday's. We've already started talking about it, so don't miss Ooh. it. Next Friday's going to be real good. Here yeah. are my last words. Fridayfroster.com. You can purchase this episode for less than a cup of coffee and get one hour CPE credit. Until next time, guys. See you later.